Here we are in the shed again. It's Talk Shop, Writers Talking Shop in the original Portland. Oh, man, I am so inspired right now, I have to say, like truly just fired up, um, having spent part of my afternoon here in the shed with uh, Nicholson Baker. I mean, this this guy is a is a treasure. I'm I'm actually feeling super grateful that uh, Roger Angel way back when as a New Yorker editor uh, decided to publish Baker's first story, um, which which then became was developed into his first book called The Mezzanine, which is brilliant and uh, launched his career. It's it's just hard to imagine what uh, the world would be like without his books, or what my world would be like without his books. Um, so many so many gems: ten novels, five books of nonfiction, box of matches, the Fermata, Vox, the Anthologist, on and on. And uh, his most recent book, which we spend a lot of the interview talking about, is called Substitute, uh, and I I loved it as well. It describes in in wonderful detail the 28 days that uh, Nicholson Baker spent substitute teaching uh, all different ages, kindergarten through uh, through seniors um, in the same public school district in Southern Maine. I just I've never read anything like it. It's it's 700 pages long, but totally addictive. There's it's it's mostly dialogue. And he brings us into the experience of his 28 days of substitute teaching by recreating the noise of the classroom. There's, there's something just incredibly uplifting and hilarious and heartbreaking and human uh, about just seeing the words said aloud by the kids rendered on the page. As I know... And, and maybe many of you know, I mean, we've, we've, all, we've all been there at, at some point. Being in a classroom is overwhelming to the senses. But the great thing about this book is that you can really consider the words that uh, are being said by the kids or that were said by the kids. And you're not distracted by the rest of, you know, rest of the scene. It's, you're, not, you're not seeing their faces. You're not hearing their voices. You're just seeing the words. And that's the, the brilliance of this book. You know, he focuses simply on the words and it, and it becomes this really thought-provoking portrait of, you know, the educational system in this country. But in all of his books, again and again, um, Nicholson Baker is asking himself and, and, and us what is actually true about this world? And he implores himself to to pinpoint what's there. I always feel so affirmed after reading his work. Part of that is just knowing that I'm not alone, that what he sees is what I see, and, and really it's what we all see. He says at the end of the interview that, that he's hoping to write a book that is about what we're all up against in some way. And, uh, you know, I think that by speaking what's true about the world, that's what he's, he's always done. Um, so I'm, I'm really, uh, excited to share this interview. The, the efforts of talk shop are starting to, uh, come to fruition. This, this is just a, it was a great day as always questions or our comments, um, can be, 
sent to lr at lewisrobinson.com. Uh, I want to thank also Aaron McCullough, a.k.a. Them Anatomies, for the music. And thanks also to Nicholson Baker for taking the time to come up to the shed. And here he is. So how did you write this book? Are we doing it? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah we're, we're really we're going. Now we're, just, we're going. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you how I wrote it. I wrote it uh, by not writing it in the beginning. I started to write every day I was writing sometimes dictating sometimes actually typing long sort of meditative paragraphs about education about my own memories of what I learned when and good teachers and bad teachers and and my own children's experience in Maine public schools and also before they came to Maine in schools in Berkeley so I just had a lot to say about education that was sort of first person-y. Um, it was coming out entirely out of my own mind. And I thought that that's what I would write a book about, was just what, 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 had hap- what happened with my kids and what happened with my own life and how, did, how, how do kids learn the things they learn? You know, just how, how do we learn things? And what are the things we actually remember since... You know, probably 95% of it we forget. Lots of meditation. And um, and then I started to think that that was not enough. In fact, it was not enough at all. And so I, I said to my son, I think I want to become a substitute teacher and really be in a classroom and really try to get stuff across. And he said, don't do it. You know, they'll mess with you. They'll, they'll make your life miserable. They'll crush you, you know. And so I I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. And so I, um, in the end, signed up to, to take a training class to be a substitute teacher. Took the class, then sort of chickened out. Some more time elapsed. Took another class, which is how the book begins. Um, and really kind of enjoyed taking the class and, and, and knowing. I knew all the way along that it wasn't preparing me. You know that I was still unprepared, but that I was uh, I was unprepared in a more prepared way or something. So so that's how the book began is sort of with a rejection of hundreds and hundreds of pages of <laughs> meditative writing, which is often what happens with me. I, I I need to get revved up and then I need to figure out a new way, a new sort some sort of new formal solution to what I'm doing, mm. and often I need to be nailed to. A particular moment to start so that's and then and, and it's so the the class and and then followed the first day of being a substitute was certainly you know it felt like this is this is somebody who is in a new situation and this needs documenting in a mm. different way than just my memories and my dissatisfactions all that you know, it's interesting, and it's one of the things that I love about the book is that that um, those meditations about education feel present in the book, but they're never kind of, or there are occasionally you get little glimpses of those of your, you know, your feelings about, you know, the role that schools play, um, and the fact that they're it's basically kind of like this big babysitting engine, mm-hmm. and that um, you know that kids' time is not really used all that wisely often um but but it doesn't that's in the background and it doesn't really 
drive, you know, it's really just a, you're allowing us to bear witness to what your days, these 28 days were like. So mm-hmm. that's what, that's, I, I love that. So that's interesting that that was the starting point. So then from, from those pages of meditation to, you know, the, the chronicle, can you, can you talk about that and, and, um, just getting the kind of the meat of the book down? Well, first, thanks, Lewis, for uh, for reacting to the book this way and for getting it. You know, because it's it is a long book, and it and it's I think it it hits people different ways. Um, I I I didn't know what to expect. I liked the idea. I like kids. I like the way people way kids talk. I was fascinated by the way my own children talked, learned to speak. This is an amazing thing that every human being does. You know, comes up with it, and it's something that isn't. It's the most complicated thing we as human beings do is learn to speak and, and understand speech. And it is almost completely untaught in a, in a sense of having, you know, a, a curriculum and step by step. The, this month you learn this and this month you learn that. No, you just, you're just there. You're born and, and you've got this smiley set of people two of them usually who are smiling at you and they say things and they echo what you say and it's it's fascinating and it there's uh, and uh, you were talking about wasting time and whether schools waste time and you know what we're what is happening in those first say 10 12 years of life is it's waiting we're waiting for brains to get organized and for for, for the speech patterns to kind of get solidified um, and so a certain amount of time wasting is just part of it. It's just inevitable. Um, and so school, what happens in school, what particular things are taught in some ways is, um, is not as interesting as just what, what kind of comes up on the fly. And that's what I really loved about working on the book is the unexpectedness and the, 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 the little crises, the um, moments of, you know, disruption, of course, but of, of humor and oddity and just strange stuff that happens all, all the time. And that's what the kids are craving. They want novelty. They want strangeness. And I wanted it too. And, um, and so we sort of collaborated um, in search of a kind of uh, chaotic enlightenment, I guess. Mm. The um, one one thing that I'm reminded of um, uh, in in just you know thinking about you know why this book was such a pleasure for me is um, I just you know I, I I do some I do some occasional teaching and just just recently started um, a twelve week. Uh, kind of what they call a residency for the telling room, which is a, a writing nonprofit here in Portland that mm. does work in schools. So it's it's in a middle school in Topsom, Mount Ararat Middle School, and uh, and it's working with a group of sixth and seventh graders. Mm. And going into that classroom, it's you know a group of eighteen, just wonderful kids. I mean, uh, just you know so you know, silly, energetic, bright, and they're, they're excited about writing. And so kind of, uh, but the last couple of weeks I've just been getting to know them. So anyways, the way that you can render that atmosphere through dialogue alone, I mean, or not dialogue alone, there are certainly, 
you know, descriptions of actions and, um, and the occasional like sensory detail, but so much of it is, is the dialogue itself. And I think to, um, to kind of starkly render an atmosphere through their words, like you say, is so wonderful. And just to really think about, just to see them on the page, you're not seeing their faces, you're not hearing their voices, but just to think about the words and how Mm. they're, you know, how they're assembling them and, and then how you're responding to them. And, you know, without explicitly stating it, you're, you're showing your delight in them. That's, that's the magic of the book. I love that. And, and there's, and I, I thought like in some ways there's, uh, there's this delicious tension to the book because I was kind of wondering, well, what, what will the shape of this be? You Mm -hmm. know, it's like, uh, a, a day begins, a day ends, we move to the next day. And there are like these beautiful little gestures towards shape. And we get, we see that you're, you know, kind of becoming more familiar with this act of substitute teaching. And then there are, you know, like the, the boy who's taking too much Paxil mm-hmm. and, and the, um, the, I, I love that moment at uh, at the end when you know the boy says i'm sorry man i love you and and <laughs> gives you the fist bump mm-hmm. that has like some that's suggestive of you know shape and and then mm-hmm. you do you know you do have um you know s- you know some words at the end just about kind of like wrapping up this this time mm-hmm. but so much of it is just the accumulation and uh and i I really admire that. I just think that there's so much storytelling out there that is kind of, I mean, maybe it's a lot of it is from like TV or, um, but, um, that's kind of hackneyed and Mm -hmm. cliched just in its structure. And I just, I, and I appreciate this about the anthologist and traveling sprinkler too, where the shape is, is subtle. It's, it's present, but it's not cliched. So Wow. Well, thank you. I I love randomness. I love the fi- I love the idea that 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 story arcs and all that fancy kind of vocabulary. It, it's good, and I certainly respond to suspense just like everybody else. But it's so much fun not to know what you're going to have to do that day, and what what in in a sense being a temp, which I was for a long time in my 20s, that's how I supported myself when I was sort of getting going as a writer, was to, I I didn't know what I was going to do that day. That was the excitement and strangeness of it, was I was going to go into a completely foreign place and have to figure out the terrain and who was a dependable person to talk to and and who was the crazy person and and how was I going to fit in with these people. Um, And really it's the same thing with me that it was kind of a feeling of going back to that unexpected odd world of of not knowing what's going to happen Gen- sort of raw suspense not suspense created by building a little bridge and then you know using the uh, the kind of the equivalent of equations of engineering to move out and and build suspense build suspense no (laughs) just take it in it's raw yeah the phone rings it's 5 30 in the morning you're going to be a third grade teacher (laughs) you know that is raw suspense (laughs) what am i going to do what have i got to bring to this what do i remember about third Mm -hmm. grade all those things are churning through my mind as i'm driving north to the school where the the school the set of schools where I taught 
So it was, it, it is that random feeling of, not, I don't know. And then the next day, it's not third grade. It's, you know, 10th grade remedial reading or something. And uh, sometimes it's closer to what I know, and sometimes it's a lot farther away from it. And there's just these unexpected delights I did not know and didn't really... I was frightened of the idea of teaching kindergarten, and yet it was, you know, one of my better days. Mm, mm. And they're just so... Um, I mean, I know, I remember my own kids when they were in kindergarten, and that was kind of easy because there were only there were only two of them, and they had, they were seven years apart. But a lot of kids in kindergarten, that's a whole new thing. So, and it worked out great, and I, I'm, I'm happy with that. I worked, I worked so hard to get this book to be that record of actual speech. That's mm. what it's all about. It isn't about what I think. I mean, of course, I'm a character in this book because I'm the teacher, and I am trying to get them to do a little work. I'm trying to be a legitimate substitute teacher who does what I'm asked to do. I have a, I have a series of sub-plans I'm following. But really, the, the value of the book, I think, is a record of the speech of children and young people in just the way that you were talking about, that there's something valuable about seeing it on the page. Mm-hmm. Even to a teacher, so uh, even to a seasoned teacher, uh, um, there's something valuable about seeing what his speech or her speech uh, looks like when it's transcribed, when it is actually down there. Yes. Um, and certainly kids' speech is fascinating, all the inversions and the little errors and the, and the kind of the grammatical hypothetical grammars that they come up with. I love that stuff. With the kindergartners, I love the way that you uh, render their kind of like, their li- the little announcements that they make to you. Like that <laughs> That was so, I mean, I, 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 I love that, how I'm just, you know, uh, just through that and these kind of delightful little pronouncements that they're making. You don't need to see the image of them you can just so feel their little the little presence it's great so one one thing that this and and this may not be at all true for you but one thing the other thing that this elicited in me Mm. is as a as a writer the kind of fantasy of like other work you know like a different path i mean Mm -hmm. i i it, it it reminded me of you know i I feel obsessed with with writing and reading and spending, you know, many hours alone in this room. Um, but I also fantasize about, well, what would it be like to be a chef uh, mm-hmm. and working, mm-hmm. you know, in a big kitchen? Mm-hmm. Or what would it be like to, you know, to run a warehouse with a team of other guys? Or what would it be like to be a full-time teacher, mm-hmm. you know, amid that chaos? And so there's that's not explicitly you know, considered, but I just wondered if that's, if that's something that you ever think about, like another path that you could have taken or other work that you might be well suited to or. All the time. I think about, I, when I write novels, they often come out as very introspective. Um, My first book is sort of a, just a series of, of sentences spun out of what I was thinking about when I was working in on Wall Street initially and in in business in my 20s and I just said so there's a there's a lot of 
of, I don't know, introspecting and, and looking inward and it's, it's interesting and it's fun and, and sometimes you make discoveries and sometimes you think of a good metaphor. But that kind of enforced solipsism is something that I need to take a break from. So mm-hmm. that when I first started doing journalism, it was sort of thing. I need to get, I need to talk to some people here. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've got a wife and a children, and you know, occasionally I go buy a cup of coffee, so I have a conversation there. But you know, it's a few friends. But journalism is you talk to people, you call them up, and you ask them questions, and they give you their opinion, and they like talking, and it's a fascinating thing. And so, and I just, I've always liked the. Trying to figure out what other people, why other people came to do what they did, so the nonfiction has often been talky, as a, and the fiction has often been meditative. Although then the, the my, I guess my third novel was all dialogue. Um, so there's I don't know I don't know how that fits in, but think, quoting people is a, is is a, a fascinating, complicated art. Quoting, also quoting, uh, I wrote I wrote a book about the beginnings of World War II, and the trick there was quoting newspaper articles, quoting what people said in speeches, coming to the little that little you know one and a half sentence nugget that really conveyed what that person was saying right there. So, uh, hearing the cadences of speech and making and making one line carry the freight of a lot of lines is 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 fun and it's mm. and it's, it's it's part of what what you do with nonfiction. Um, so this book was really a continuation of that in that if I'd made a complete if I if I'd sort of done a um, beginning to end account of everything that was said on a given day as, as in my day as a fifth grade substitute teacher right it would have been really hundreds of pages just for that one. And so sometimes my chapters are 30 pages, uh-huh. and, but you know that is really squashed down. Um, and there was a lot of, of uh, interesting kind of, how can I get, how can I get this nice moment in and, and skip over some of this other stuff? So that that's part of part of it is just the, that that being being needed by the world. When you're when you're a journalist, the magazine says we need this from you, and then you call people up. When you're a substitute teacher, they just call you up. Mm-hmm. They're saying we need we you. We need you. We need you standing in front of a bunch of kids you do not know. <laughs> yeah. And there's a great f- thrill of fear yes. and excitement in that. Yes. Um, and it is hard. It is really, <laughs> it can be hard. And it, it can be heartbreaking and, and embarrassing, but it's worth doing. And it got, I mean, when you think of them, there are really a lot of teachers teaching. And teachers get sick all the time and they take training days and there are all sorts of reasons why they're not there. So there is a gigantic kind of population, necessary population of substitute teachers. Mm who are not trained and they don't have credentials necessarily, but they are desperately needed. Mm. And so it is a kind of a nice feeling when you're a writer pushing your stuff out in the world. It's a nice feeling to be needed. Mm. Absolutely. To, to, uh, we need you to do this thing. <laughs> All right, okay. I'm here. I'm on it. I'm getting in my car. I'm making a sandwich. I'm here. I'll be there. So when at the end of these days, did you did you? F- 
feel that you needed to get a bunch of stuff down right away or did you save that for the next day? Cause these, uh, some, some of these days were like right one after the next. Mm-hmm. So, so how did you, how did you manage to kind of keep track of them all and the, and the, the moments and um, like what kind of note taking did you do or how did you get stuff down? Well, I did a lot of note taking. It's not enough. I did, I did photograph what was on the walls mm-hmm. sometimes not enough. Yeah. Um, I was making a backup um, audio tape the whole time. Basically, mm. the most I think almost the whole time, mm. and that was really the only true way back to what people what people were were saying. Mm. Of course, I don't want to violate people's privacy, so right. I I change people's names. I I change the name of the schools and the, and stuff. I don't want uh, people to be made unhappy by what's in the book but I did did think that my basic job was to be absolutely true to what they said mm. don't 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 clean it up um, don't make it more dramatic than it than it is on the other hand all these little tiny um, junctures where people are maybe disagreeing there's an old feud there's 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 stuff going on always in class that are that that's outside of the competence and the comprehension of the teacher, uh, even the the real teacher, but especially of the substitute teacher. All and and those undercurrents as they surface are interesting and they have to be rendered accurately. And I just it's, I'm I have so little patience for fake kid dialogue. Ugh, yeah. And and if you try, and I did try, because what I did was I, I would leave, I'd leave the school, I'd park somewhere, I wouldn't even get home, I'd park somewhere and I'd think, I want to write down every high and low of this day, and I would try to write, you know, whole swatches of what went on, and it was amazing how imperfect my memory mm. is. Well, I guess it's not amazing, I mean, it's, it's, it's I'm human, you cannot remember lines and lines of dialogue and yet that is absolutely the great privilege now Mm. to be able to go back and say what how did this good moment let's say it was a moment where i taught a kid this magic trick that seemed to work for me or or it was a moment of disagreement where this kid got mad at me i would remember it slightly differently i always i exaggerated maybe what what the kid said in my head because you always kind of outline things more darkly so it was so useful to hear how it actually developed mm, mm. and that um that's not and i i felt you know oh, all right i understand why it hasn't been done but it's my job to do it yeah. this is the this is the way i have to write this book one of the moments in the middle of the book that really struck me and i think I don't know, in my reading of the book, it's kind of is at the heart of the book. And that's the that's the day when you are asked to show the Holocaust movie to the kids. And and just that the problem that presents you with and just how, uh, you know, how it meets the students. And um, and there's just so much there. I just thought Mm -hmm. that was an incredible moment in the book. Well, thank you. Is there anything else you want to say about that day or? Um... Well, 
the guy the the guy next door was the came in and said we're going to be watching a movie today and i said okay and and he you know sort of showed me how to hook up the projector and and then he said it's you know, you know it's an oprah winfrey show and we're going to be and it's about Eli wiesel and they're in auschwitz and i thought oh god what well, i mean it's not like I, this is a this is something that Americans have to think about. Mm-hmm. It's it is what happened and why it happened and exactly how it happened is important and it actually was a very good film. Um, but the motives behind showing it uh, to every single English class that day was. I felt as if it was it was they were saying okay yeah you think that you know English is just about some words and stuff but we're going to show you something really heavy duty and there're going to be a lot of dead bodies and stuff and 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 there were and the the YouTube video that we were using actually had a kind of defect in it it, it, and it looped back so right. there was a whole repeat of a whole section and there was a problem with connectivity and it um it was just it was painful because the kids were defending themselves against the imagery partly i think that seeing that many dead bodies at a quarter to 9 in the morning you know you just did anyone ask you whether you wanted to do that no your job as a kid you have no choice is to go to school um and you and and on any given day you are going to do what they're going to tell you to do as a grown up you can say i am now in a receptive mood to think about this horrific the worst period in human history the second world war more people died you know it's just i'm ready to think about that now as a high school kid you have you, you you can't say, I'm not ready to think about that now. I'll think about that, you know, at 8 o'clock tonight or something. It's going to happen at quarter nine that morning because that's when class happens. And So there was a lot of just, it felt like there was a lot of kids um, eyeball rolling, fending off mm. this this thing, joking. You know, the, it it wasn't connecting it wasn't coming through yeah um and it was but it was coming through to me because i had to watch the darn movie i guess it was five many times times, um so and there was and it is a very powerful actually oprah show i mean it's a very very powerful show because it's so cold and they're shivering and they're walking around auschwitz and they go to this museum and there's all this hair you know human hair it's just horrible horrible but it um it it, i felt it was one of the stronger chapters in the book because it kind of encapsulated all of the complexities of teaching why is a given thing chosen and why is there why is it that kids are required to do certain things required because of this thing will this will get your attention you know this is really really hard to look at and so some of you who are hard to reach 
may be interested because mm. you like to look at dead bodies or whatever it is. There's just so many things that are that were caught up in this in that day. But I was a wreck at the end. Of I, it. Bet, I really was, I bet. and I, you know, and I just would sit there um, during the during because there would be ten minutes of uh, time passing. I just think, oh, all right, well, you know, we're going to see it again in another ten minutes. I wanted to I wanted to ask you um, uh, about um, another of your books, if that's okay. Sure. Um, I wanted to to uh, ask you about you and I. Um, I mean, I uh, and I and I, I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but I, I love all of your books. Um, but you oh, and I is you. a particularly that was a particularly entertaining and engrossing um, <laughs> uh, book for me. You Thank know, you. just in its meditation on writing and reading and memory and ego, and I, I just love that book, everything about it. So, one of my one of the things that that I think is is wonderful about that book is how uh, honest and vulnerable and um, it it is. It's not. I, I like how how self aware you are about you know this obsession with 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 Updike you are and mm. um, and but also not falsely modest. Not not you know I I. I, I I like the the balance that you strike there. So where's the question in this? I think mm. just I I think I think often as a writer about where the the ego is in the act of writing, mm-hmm. um, and um, and how necessary that is, but also um, how important it is to temper that. I guess so. Is that is that kind of meditation that that book in, in involved is that something that is kind of ongoing for you just yes. in terms of your own work I, I think it is ongoing well it's ongoing even I still think a lot about Updike the, the idea of the book was to was to come up with what I knew and th- and remembered of about what I'd read by Updike without actually going back and rereading it so it was it was kind of an interesting challenge what do you have in your head floating around or knocking around that are bits and pieces of phrasing because you have read this writer over the years um, and it was also uh, it was also nice because I had written two first person novels um, which and, and I'm obviously I'm, I'm the main character I'm the narrator right and I I changed the you know they're fictionalized they there are they are not exactly what happened but room temperature especially the second book is very um very autobiographical well so the book about updike though i've got another character mm-hmm. you know this is a very complicated brilliant phrase making genius of a guy who's much older than i am who's very successful who does things that i know i can't do He's extremely smart. He's read all sorts of things that I will never get to. He's, however, sometimes has a little bit of a mean streak. And, you know, what the hell happened with his marriage? What the, why did he do that? What, you know, really interesting person. So I had a, so that was that, that feeling of the nonfiction feeling. Mm -hmm. I am getting to know another person. Now, I did not want to interview him because that's a different kind of book. I yeah. just wanted to sort of interview my memories of what he'd written and see what what kind of 
person emerged from that flotsam and jetsam. And I, mean, I still do this. I mean, I, I think about the writers that I read all the time, and phrases are always popping into mm. my head, bits of poetry and just little moments, a sort of a delightful little moment in a book review or essay. I love essays. The phrases are constantly popping around, and, and the phrases always, I always want to, when I remember something, I always think, I always want to know what that writer what room, where was she or he? Where, where, what, what was going on? What had they had for breakfast? You don't know mm-hmm. any of that. Mm-hmm. I, I came across a beautiful passage in an Elizabeth Bishop poem yesterday, um, reading the map. First mm-hmm. book, it was mm-hmm. the first poem mm-hmm. in, in, in her book of, uh, her book of collected poems, which is a book I had bought in a long time ago. And um, it's got a beautiful cover. And uh, and she compares the peninsulas are like women feeling uh, the water between the peninsulas is like mm. women feeling yard goods with their fingers. Mm. Um, it's just a beautiful wow. thing. But it's 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 said much better than that. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought, wow, I wonder if this has been published in the New Yorker. It turned out that it was the one of the first poems she'd ever published. Marianne Moore chose it for a anthology I didn't know about. And also that Elizabeth Bishop was uh, tortured by asthma and had to take adrenaline shots to do to help herself through this. And I just learned a lot about her yesterday mm. because I was riveted by that two-line passage in her poem. Um, and that that passage will rattle around in my head for, mm. for as long as I live, you know. And that's so. That's what I guess. That's what the idea of you and I was is to say. Well, we we have we are we have all this stuff in there. What what do you make of it when it's churning around? How can you make something artful out of it? How can you turn it into spun out paragraphs that go from one to one idea to the next? Mm. And so important to to that book that that you're not actually you know flipping to the passages um, as they as they exist in the books, but it's all about how how you have held on to them. It was strange because there was a I had to correct. I thought well, it wouldn't be fair to Updike to quote misquote <laughs> without any correction. So then I had I would you know have the I'd have my quote perhaps in parenthesis as I remembered it, perhaps between parentheses, and then I'd have to put a bracket, Mm -hmm. awkward-looking bracket, and say, no, actually what he said was this. Mm -hmm. And often it was was much better. That's the thing is it's, you know, you you think, oh, so great when he said (laughs) X. And actually I hadn't been been getting it right. But then when the book came out, Updike reviewed it. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I've got well, to read that. Wow. I, 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 so I, I was, uh, the, my editor then at the New Yorker was Roger Angel. And he, I don't remember if he called me up or something, and he said, um, Updike's going to review your book anonymously. Wow. And it was a bizarre thing, because then I thought, oh, I've been told, so now I have to, I have to th- thank Updike for this review, even though the review said, uh, Updike he referred to himself in the third person and, and said <laughs> that, that you know, Mr. Baker d- d- uh, ref- 
uh, is writing a book that's more about him than about Updike, but and then he made, and then he made some corrections that obviously very much frustrated him <laughs> that he said that he said that my i was fascinated by his use of the phrase pool of a dandelion and he said really it wasn't pool at all it was pole p o l l and 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 it was in the hardcover but it, but there was a typo in the wow, paperback wow so i then i thought well i don't want to hurt his feelings by saying well actually you know there was a typo in your paperback that's yeah. so i never ever said that now he's dead. It's just oh. there's a lot of tiny little things that can happen in the writing life. But that's amazing. But yes, he reviewed it as a brief, a brief review, briefly reviewed at the back of the New Yorker was was the subject of the book himself uh, reacting to what I'd done, and amazing. a not unkind review, that's, considering that how wonderful. complicated it was for him to do that. Was there any, <clears throat> was there any other interaction that t- the two of you had before he died? Um, yeah. Between okay, so, you, so a little you bit. To, yeah. um, th- he came to Rochester, where I lived near Rochester when I was when, uh, and so I shook hands with him, said a nice to. I admit I'd met him once or twice, in, in, or once I guess in a way, in a way that was chronicled in the book you and I itself but I wrote him letters and he wrote me letters and then and there was a I think it was his last collection of prose due considerations came in the mail saying um, to Nicholson Baker uh, you know hoping you'll send send your next book or something mm. and the, the, the best inscription uh, he sent me a number of his books actually and um, I sent him some of mine, but I was sort of shy about it. But it was this one, Memories of the Ford Administration. It's not a book I've ever read, which is the other thing you, you know, that was the other ridiculous thing I did with that book was say, I'm going to write about a book about Updike, but I haven't read everything by Updike by any means. It's a lot, of, of, it. It's a yeah. lot of it. Yeah. But uh, Memories of the Ford Administration, and it was inscribed to Nicholson Baker, who made me famous. Which wow. Was, you know, wow. was a really nice That's, thing. And you know, I read. I've been reading him lately, and I have still have these dissatisfactions and things that I'm not <laughs> yeah. happy. That man could write a sentence, yeah. and let's just face it. Yeah, let's. Face that it. man could write a sentence like nobody else. Yeah, and he was just endlessly inventive about other people's writing. He was he was tolerant of all sorts of different kinds of literature. Mm. Great, great essayist. And some of the stories are really fascinating and have beautiful moments in them. Yeah. So I just, um, I still think of him sort of as a, as a model of, as a fascinating person who is worthy of study, of, yeah, of study, you know, definitely. of thinking about this guy. So how do you how do you come to other other reading like what are your what are your reading interests these days <laughs> and 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 also what is your relationship with the internet like do you do you read things online at all do you research sure. online Oh yeah. of course I mean it's great Google Books is hugely helpful yeah. if you're doing any kind of journalism especially historical stuff because there are a lot of say about the second world war any war Korean war uh hundreds and hundreds of books and, mm. and you're maybe you're looking for a particular obscure person and the name appears in a footnote and there it is it's mm. it's enormously helpful uh, for research 
One way that I've been having fun um, finding what to read is by subscribing to, um, I think it's Early Bird Books and BookBub, and they're two mailing services, and you you sign up and they send you a listing of all the books that are available as eBooks for a reduced price for dollar ninety nine or ninety nine oh, nice. cents. And you think, why are they why are they pushing this book? And it's usually that they think. That it's it's a, a the publisher is thinking. This book is had its moment, maybe it was a big bestseller, but now its time has come around again and has to find a new generation of readers. And I'm just fascinated by that moment of deciding that the book ought to be discounted. Yeah, and it's and every day, <laughs> every day I get I get this long list of uh, thrillers and suspense and you know cozy mysteries mm. and romance novels and all sorts of things and also lots of works of history and um, so I found books that I didn't know exist and I've been led back places like I I was led to uh, read Alison Lurie's Foreign Affairs because Bookbub or I think it was Bookbub said uh, you know here's this book and it's a dollar ninety nine. Started reading. It's fantastic. Is it? Oh, it's yeah. great. It's wonderful. Um, and I knew she was good, and she was around when I was just getting started. You know, people talked about this book she'd written, The War Between the Tates, but I never really processed how smart and how she is. And being smart as a novelist is totally different from being smart as a uh, as a nonfiction writer. Mm. It's the intelligence of being a sympathetic person who understands how other people think mm. it's just a, it's 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 an uncodifiable extremely delicate kind of intelligence that i just admire and uh she's somebody who can do that mysterious telepathic thing mm. getting into other people's heads uh she's still alive she's um She's just a great discovery. So that's how how I sometimes find books is just what what is being sort of like yeah. the discount table. Yeah. Um, and I read them as ebooks a lot because um, I I like to read in the middle of the night yeah. and and I don't like to wake my wife up by turning on the side light. So I I use my phone. Mm. I read old New Yorkers on mm. my iPhone now mm. because you can you can get the full facsimile and then you you expand the column mm. to the width of the phone nice and uh so you can be there reading you know a, an old Cheever story mm. in the actual typeset form that wonderful. it existed wonderful in you know 1948 when it came out yeah it's incredible oh, that is incredible speaking of the new yorker when when an excerpt from the mezzanine or i guess was it while it was in in progress that um that the new yorker published well, the, so the the way the the mezzanine came to be was first um, first uh, was ch- just chapter seven uh, was published as a as a story. Getting dressed in the morning, going to get, going to work, and it and it had a sort of it was a breakthrough for me because it was finally I felt I'd found a voice that I was comfortable in. This this sounded like me, and when I was writing in this voice, uh, pieces of me came out. And I, I was, you know, I was actually able to say things I knew, and so it was, a, it was a big thing, and it was in 1986, and then I wrote a whole sort of book. 
around that oh. with footnotes and everything, which didn't was which wasn't finished until 1987. I mean, uh, yeah, 1987 when when I uh, I quit my job as a technical writer and I I had a couple months to write. It was just you know it was sort of an emergency. Do this. You're 30 years old. If you don't get it done now, you're you're done. You're over. It's it's hopeless. So I wrote it and finished with it and then um, it was sent to a bunch of publishers and, and it was projected a lot of times so there was that sort of depressing moment <laughs> but then anyway it was it was I, I uh, my agent or I sent it to Roger Angel and he called up and said I had no idea you were working on this and he wanted some other pieces of it so then two other pieces I guess were excerpted in the in the New Yorker so that's a long account of how yeah. these excerpts so it started as a as a as a story in the new yorker and then that story became a chapter and then that chapter then became the sort of the nucleus of a novel so could you describe the say the the few years leading up to that moment mm-hmm. that you published um that first story so you were working as a technical writer and then and were you um like what? What other writing were you doing, and how did how did you how were you led to that moment? The way I came to write that story was I was first working as a temp, and I was working in in Boston and in these banks and, and legal law firms, and I had lunch hours, and I used to uh, copy out stuff. I read George Gissing's New Grub Street was one. Um, uh, Edmund Goss's Father and Son. Uh, this, uh, especially that one, some books of British first-person memoir, some journals, I some diaries. I love reading diaries. Mm. Um, so I was copying things out, and I had a lunch hour that was my uh, as a, just a little snippet of my mental life that was very different from the morning where I spent typing other people's stuff. Or Sometimes I worked for... John Silber, who was the president of Boston University, I typed his correspondence, so he would dictate into a dictaphone or some sort of recording thing, and I, I would type it and, and make mistakes, and he would be angry at me. But then lunch hour, totally different feeling than afterwards. So that feeling of the preciousness of the middle of the day, and that feeling, that whole kind of feeling of bursting through a revolving door into... And, I then combined that with the memories I had of the first job I got I had when I was out of of uh, college, which was working on Wall Street as an oil analyst. So there was all this stuff was just sort of percolating around, and and also I was idle, and I had this girlfriend who's now my wife, and we, you know, were what I just didn't know what my place in the world would be. Um, and then when she got pregnant when we after we got married and she was going to have a baby and I thought I can't just be a temp I mean if I have a daughter or a son I'm going to sit there and tell them I'm a temp you know I've got to have something so I got a technical writing job all this stuff was just in my head and I thought how do I how do I say what's actually true about the world what's actually true about the world isn't isn't the stuff that I was reading in contemporary American fiction Mm. And there was a there's a book there's a anthology of best cartoons from Punch, which was which was a book that was 
floated around my house when I was a little kid. And there's this picture of a painter, um, a little girl standing, looking up at this painter in a garret, you know. Uh, and he's got all of these signs up of, of left turn, right turn, yield. Like, I don't know if there's yield, but stop, do not enter. And he's just turning to her, towards her with his paintbrush in his hand saying, I paint what I see, child. <laughs> and I thought, you know, you've uh, got to do that. Yeah. You've got you to gotta say what's there. If What is there? Escalators, lunch hours, drawers with stuff in it. If you're talking about the business world, you're not necessarily talking about the wheeler, dealer, Gordon Gecko kind no. of person. That's I never met people like that. Mm. I saw I was inside a lot of offices mm. um, and most people are just muddling through yeah, you know yeah, yeah. and they write they wrote memos and you know there was a wonderful way of distributing memos that I used to love it was a big yellow envelope and uh, a, a thread and it would the thread would go around in a figure eight would go around these two sort of cardboard discs uh, it was essentially email yeah. It was just email in which somebody had to make the thread go around two cardboard discs. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that was so much fun. And part of the real flavor of, of being in the world of commerce. On the, on the subject of describing the world as you see it, I was uh, driving to Yarmouth last night uh, to play hockey. Mm. And uh, with, a, with an old friend who I hadn't <clears throat> seen in a while, who doesn't usually play on the, in the Thursday night game. But anyways, I was telling him that I was really looking forward to talking with you today. And, um, and he didn't, he wasn't familiar with your work. And mm-hmm. so he said, well, what do you, what do you love about his work? And so I was trying to describe to him, you know, what I love about the way that you can describe something that we all know and have seen, but haven't, taken the time to to really look at it closely or to name it and and so and the the example that I gave him was and I don't remember which which of which book mm-hmm. it's in but the the small amount of water at the top of a, an upturned glass in a washing machine the little tide pool of water um <laughs> and he was like oh yes you know that's you know so he that he connected with with that that that's something that we've noticed but not really named or described mm-hmm. i was so, uh, so happy when i noticed what, that what, thing. <laughs> yeah. I, it was in a dishwasher you're talking about in a dishwasher yeah in a dishwasher right? sorry you pull out, a, did i say washing machine yeah dishwasher yeah. yes no yeah. no <laughs> but when you pull out the top yes um rack in the morning yes and you and there's these little each <laughs> each uh, upturned mug the bottom so it's the bottom of the mugs yes. hold the little tide pools <laughs> And and I and there's sometimes a little, still a little bit warm, even though it's the morning, which is crazy. Um, and I thought, oh my God, I I, I get the I, I am in the lucky position of being able to mention this thing that maybe nobody has mentioned. So thank you is for it, liking that is very that, much. <laughs> is that a Paul Chowder um, observation? I can't remember if it's from one of those two books or not. But that yeah. one, I think, is from a box of matches, oh, which okay. is a book oh, yeah. that I wrote and. Yeah. Um, it would make sense because um, it was a book that I wrote entirely in front of the fireplace in the house where I lived mm. in Maine, and um, 
and the the ritual that I had in the morning was I got up really early, 4.30 or 5.30, and then I would not turn on any lights, and so I'd sort of feel my way downstairs, open the dishwasher, and grab a mug, and the mugs would have this little, mm. you know, memory of what they'd just been through in the dishwasher oh, and 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 you have to pour it out you know yes. sort of pour, make sure to pour it out while the dishwasher is still open so yeah it was from yeah. box of matches yeah. so um th- this is the last question because i think we're coming up on we're just about an hour but mm-hmm. i um i'm curious to know um if you'd be willing to say something about what you're working on now or or what you might be working on next I want, always want, and crave some way of doing doing a book that is about what we're all up against in some way, but has a different, a recognizably different texture, starts from a different place. I don't know, the, the difference between fiction and nonfiction is sometimes very thin, because my fiction is very autobiographical, and I like the nonfiction to have sort of a presence of that that is that uses fictional techniques i guess you could say so uh i have four or five different things that i would like to finish and you know god darn it i'm gonna finish one of them um the thing i'm working on is most has been something i've been working on for almost 10 years now, a lot of research and archival research, and it has to do with a bunch of subjects in the lost in the Cold War of, of the early 50s, Harry Truman. And mm. I have so much stuff that it's just terrifying. That, that, and I don't, I, and it's at some point, and it never, it doesn't exist, and it is not a thing until it's finished. And I keep putting off finishing it and I have boxes and boxes of notes and photocopied documents and and I feel I have secrets to impart so I guess I'm I want to I want to get on with that and that's what the publisher knows I'm doing so that's the that's the key is when they say okay that's the one we want from you then you know you really have no choice you can't put it up for another five years that middle school group in in Mount Ararat that I just started working with Mm -hmm we're doing I'm just having them you know kind of write little exercises I'm trying to get them going and and I talked about kind of building their pile so just like building a pile of of like starts and then we can kind of go back mm-hmm. and see and so every I was like every writer has it has has a pile you know the, that's these great piles, yeah that's so good um, you they they're very lucky to have you um, so Nick, thank you so much for taking the time to come here and to talk with me. And also thank you so much for, you know, all of your amazing books and, and for, uh, for bringing me lots of pleasure over the years. So thank you so much. It was a total pleasure. And it's really fun to be in this, in this room with it's surrounded by, it's sort of like, we've got this halo of books around the top edge. I'm very happy to have talked to you and thanks for the interesting line of questioning all right episode 19 it's a wrap thanks as always to aaron mccullough aka them anatomies for the music thank you to nicholson baker for making the trip up to the shed 
and please send any questions or comments and please do send some questions or comments to lr at lewisrobinson.com uh would love to hear from you happy holidays